It was June 6, 1822, a Thursday. A young man called Alexis Saint-Martin walked into a fur trading post on Mackinac Island. He was young, in his 20s, a French-Canadian voyager from a small village about 50 miles, roughly 80 kilometers north of Montreal. He found a job working under indentured servitude as a fur trader for the American Fur Company, the one that made its founder, John Jacob Astor, America's first multimillionaire. Astor's great-grandson, John Jacob Astor IV, would lose his life on the Titanic. But that was almost a century away when the young Saint-Martin stood inside the American Fur Company's store on an island, hundreds of miles from home. For the rest of this episode, I'm going to pronounce Alexis Saint-Martin as Alexis Saint-Martin. This is to prevent you from having to endure my horrible French pronunciation. It was summer, and the island in what is now the state of Michigan was teeming with life, business, and trade. The ice on the Great Lakes had melted, and the promise of summer and its months of warmth energized all who had long awaited the parting of the harsh, unforgiving northern winter. If it weren't for what happened next, Alexis St. Martin would have disappeared into history, his name forgotten, another nameless, forgotten face stilled in a black and white photo. Inside the fur company's store on Market Street, which you can still visit today, another fur trader was holding a shotgun loaded with birdshot. And suddenly, the wicked crack of gunfire thundered as the shotgun was accidentally fired, its lead pellets tearing through the left side of St. Martin's body. His shirt caught fire as he fell to the floor. Witnesses said he was less than a meter from the gun when it fired. Everyone thought he was dead. The clerks and voyagers scrambled to find Dr. William Beaumont, the only doctor on the island. He was the army surgeon stationed uphill at Fort Mackinac. The fort was once again in American hands as it was ceded to the U.S. seven years before, at the conclusion of the War of 1812. When Dr. Beaumont saw the young voyager bloodied and ripped apart on the floor, a burnt piece of his lung protruding, his stomach shot open with his breakfast spilling out of it, he treated him as best he could. He clipped off a piece of St. Martin's rib so he could carefully push the lung back inside his body. He gently pulled out the bits of shirt that had stuck inside the hand-sized wound. He wrote later that he believed Alexis would be dead within days. Instead, Alexis St. Martin would become, for lack of a better phrase, a guinea pig. And Dr. William Beaumont was about to carry out a series of experiments on this man that were as integral to our understanding of the human gastric system as they were utterly and unforgettably strange. Come with me and find out what happens next in this fascinating and captivatingly odd true story. I'm your host, Kristen Robine-Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside.
Today, Mackinac Island is a huge tourist destination. According to the Mackinac Island State Historic Park's annual report, the island, which has an eight-mile circumference, gets almost a million visitors a year, mostly in the summer months. However, the year-round population of permanent residents is only five to six hundred people. It's famous for a few things. One, the fudge, which is absolutely delicious and has been synonymous with the island for well over a hundred years now. Mackinac Island became the second national park in the U.S. in 1875. Yellowstone had taken first place two years before, in 1873. Twenty years after that, it was turned over to the state of Michigan, becoming Michigan's first state park. One of the things that makes Mackinac Island so unique is the fact that motorized vehicles were outlawed on the island in 1898, and that's still true today. The only exceptions are snowmobiles in the winter, service vehicles, and emergency vehicles. So the only way to get anywhere is to walk, take a horse-drawn carriage, or bike. If you call a taxi on Mackinac Island, it will be pulled by horses. How awesome is that? There are numerous bike rentals, too, and you can rent a single bike or a tandem, which is a bike that allows two people to sit and pedal together, though they tell you up front that they call a tandem bike a divorce horse, and for good reason. Though it's a tourist destination today, that's not what it was originally, and Mackinac Island's history goes back thousands of years. According to Eric Hemingway, the director of archives and records for the Little Traverse Bay Bands of Odawa Indians, the First Nations people of the area, the Anishinaabek, which comprises the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi people, have been visiting the island for millennia. Many consider it a sacred place, and some believe it was the place of genesis for humankind, the place on Earth where the first person came into being. It sits between the upper and lower peninsulas of Michigan and lies almost at the exact place where Lake Michigan and Lake Huron meet, making it an important strategic spot for both trade and warfare. Around 400 years ago, it became a part of New France, the area of the Americas that was colonized by the French. Because of its position, it became a busy transportation corridor in the Great Lakes, and it soon became part of the booming fur trade, and remained so for centuries. The French built Fort Michilimackinac around 1715, a strategically fortified trading post on Michigan's Lower Peninsula, about 10 miles from the island. The British took control of that in 1761. The French had held good relationships with the local tribes centered around trade. When the British took over in 1763, they did not practice the same methods of cooperation the French had. Due to what the natives felt were unfair and disrespectful policies of the British towards their tribes, as well as encroachment into their lands, the fort was taken in an intricately planned surprise attack by the local Ojibwe tribe as a part of Pontiac's Rebellion, which is such an interesting part of history it needs to be its own in-depth series in the future of this podcast. After negotiations, the British took control once again, but ended up moving the fort to Mackinac Island in 1780 during the American Revolution, believing the island would be a more defensible position. The Americans took control of the fort on Mackinac Island in 1796, lost it to the British in the War of 1812, tried taking it back during the Battle of Mackinac Island in 1814, 
but were beaten back by British and native forces. It eventually came back into American hands after the British relinquished it at the end of the War of 1812, which was in 1815. It remained an active military post until 1895 and is still intact today, complete with historical reenactments, and it is totally worth a visit. This is where Dr. Beaumont was stationed the day Alexis St. Martin was shot. Mackinac Island has a long and compelling history, and the story of Beaumont and Alexis just might be the weirdest part of it. Beaumont believed St. Martin was going to die, writing about the incident later, saying, quote, I was called to him immediately after the accident, found a portion of the lungs as large as a turkey's egg protruding through the external wound, lacerated and burnt, and below this another protrusion resembling a portion of the stomach, which at first view I could not believe possible to be that organ in that situation with the subject surviving, but on closer examination I found it to be actually the stomach with a puncture in the protruding portion large enough to receive my forefinger, and through which a portion of his food that he had taken for breakfast had come out and lodged among his apparel. In this dilemma, I considered my attempt to save his life entirely useless." Unquote. But despite his initial doubt, Beaumont treated his patient anyway, as best he could, and to everyone's surprise, St. Martin lived, though he was in a severely fragile state, and there was still a gaping hole in his stomach. When Beaumont tried feeding him, the food he ate would spill out of the wound in his stomach. Sorry, that was a gross sound effect. I just could not not use it once I found it. To ensure St. Martin didn't starve to death, for the next couple of weeks, Beaumont fed St. Martin by way of nutrient enemas, which is exactly what you think it is. As awful as this sounds, treating the sick via enemas is something that has been done by physicians for millennia. According to an article from the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh, Egyptian papyri from around 1500 BCE mention using the rectum to give medications to the sick. According to an article from The Guardian, nutrient enemas were once fairly common, and had even been used on President James Garfield when he was shot by an assassin in 1881. Garfield was kept alive for several days with enema infusions of finely minced beef, cold water, egg yolk, and whiskey. Not surprisingly, this did not save his life, and doctors have questioned the efficacy of nutrient enemas since the colon and rectum can only absorb salt, glucose, some vitamins and minerals, along with some minor nutrients. Today, doctors use tube feedings and intravenous feeding when a patient cannot eat normally, but unfortunately for St. Martin, nutrient enemas were still seen as a viable treatment in 1822. After a couple of weeks, the wound healed enough for Beaumont to simply apply compresses to St. Martin's wound, which allowed him to, once again, eat normally without all of his food spilling out of his wound. A wound that was still refusing to close, no matter what Beaumont did to try and seal it. Instead of closing, the tissue around the opening attached itself to the tissue in Martin's side. This created something called a gastric fistula, which is basically a passageway which remained a permanent opening. This meant that there was an actual window from which Beaumont could peer right into the stomach of St. Martin. 
As odd as this sounds, the fistula itself didn't seem to cause St. Martin any pain. Beaumont wrote, quote, No sickness nor unusual irritation of the stomach, not even the slightest nausea, was manifest during the whole time. And after the fourth week, the appetite became good, digestion regular, the evacuations natural, and all the functions of the system perfect and natural, unquote. This opening into his stomach would never fully close, and St. Martin would have a hole in his side that led right into his stomach for the rest of his life. Eventually, a portion of the stomach covered the hole from the inside. This made it so St. Martin no longer had to use compresses to keep his food from spilling out, as it acted as a valve that kept his food inside. But Beaumont could still push this valve aside and easily access St. Martin's stomach, allowing him to carry out experiments. The fistula provided Beaumont direct access to a living stomach, an access he would take full advantage of, at the, some would say, unethical expense of St. Martin. What followed was unprecedented, would greatly advance the understanding of digestion, and would eventually catapult the career of Dr. Beaumont. These experiments which followed were the first of their kind, and remain an obscure yet integral piece of history. It's about to get weird. Once it was determined the wound was not fatal, and that St. Martin was unable to pay for treatment, he was kicked out of the hospital. According to Smithsonian Magazine, St. Martin's wound lost him his job with the American Fur Company. St. Martin was poor, very poor, and since he wasn't an island local and thus denied community support, leadership on the island determined that he should be sent back to Montreal. Dr. Beaumont didn't think St. Martin would be able to survive the long trip home, and he didn't want him leaving as that would separate him from his living science experiment. So Beaumont took St. Martin into his home as his servant and his guinea pig. Beaumont would begin a series of experiments which would last almost a decade. According to Frank Strauss, a writer for the Mackinac Island town crier, a contract was signed by St. Martin, who was illiterate and couldn't actually read a contract, by the way. We don't have that original contract anymore, but a renewal contract was signed in 1832, and it stated that St. Martin would, quote, "...submit to such physiological medical experiments as the said William, that's Beaumont, shall direct or cause to be made on or in the stomach of him, the said Alexis, that's St. Martin, and will obey the exhibiting and showing of his said stomach." St. Martin worked as a servant by day and a science experiment by night. The renewal contract said Beaumont paid him $150 per year as well as room and board for his labor and access to his stomach. According to officialdata.org's inflation calculator, that's about $3,200 US dollars today. Westegg's inflation calculator put it at $2,900, and the Bureau of Labor Statistics calculator only goes back to 1913. So we can guess it was somewhere around three grand. Digestion was not well understood at all when Beaumont began his experiments. No one knew exactly how the stomach did what it did, or how it digested food. Beaumont began trying to solve this mystery in several ways. St. Martin was instructed to eat certain foods in order to see how they affected the stomach. 
when the dressings or compresses were removed from the fistula, the food he had eaten would pour out, allowing Beaumont to examine it. Sometimes Beaumont would spoon food directly into St. Martin's wound to see how it interacted with his stomach. He would attach different kinds of foods, like meat and vegetables, to a silk string, dangle it through the hole, let the stomach juices do their thing for a few hours, then pull it out again for observation on how it was being digested. This allowed him to compare digestion between meats and vegetables. Once, according to the Wisconsin Historical Society, he put 12 raw oysters into St. Martin's stomach just to see what would happen. He experimented with liquids, too. He poured coffee, tea, and alcohol inside and observed how they each affected the stomach. He would observe St. Martin's stomach while he was in different moods, and apparently an angry stomach looks different than a relaxed, happy one. Sometimes he would collect fluid from St. Martin's stomach, place it in a container, and add various foods to again view the different effects the fluid had on the different types of food. At one point, to gauge the amount of acidity present in the stomach before it digested food, Dr. Beaumont stuck his tongue into St. Martin's fistula and tasted his stomach acid. In this way, he determined that the stomach didn't have an acid taste until it was actively working to digest food. According to an awesome video by Today in History, which I'll post in the show notes, Beaumont would sometimes even eat the partially digested food he would pull out of St. Martin's stomach. Apparently, half-digested chicken pulled out of another person's stomach tastes bland and sweet. That is scientific dedication. Also, it's disgusting. While being subjected to these experiments, St. Martin was chopping wood, cleaning the house, performing manual labor, and doing anything he was asked to do by Beaumont. It was not an equal partnership, and according to Lisa Edwards in an article for My North, Beaumont, in letters he sent over the next few years, described St. Martin with words like villain, drunkard, and ungrateful. St. Martin's well-being was not Beaumont's primary concern, and when the experiments caused distresses for St. Martin, giving him headaches, nausea, constipation, and emotional distress, Beaumont continued with them anyway, showing little concern for St. Martin's overall health. Bedside manner was not Beaumont's strong suit. In 1825, Dr. Beaumont was relocated from Fort Mackinac to Fort Niagara, and he took St. Martin with him so he could continue his experiments. Eventually, St. Martin tired of Beaumont's experiments and moved back home to Canada, where he married and had as many as six children. But their partnership was not over, and Beaumont would continue to send for St. Martin in order to perform experiments. Most of the time, this required St. Martin to leave his family behind. Once, when St. Martin went back to Canada to visit his wife and children, Beaumont wrote that his subject had absconded. His concern for St. Martin on an interpersonal level never seemed to evolve. We do know that on one occasion, St. Martin brought his wife and children with him while Beaumont was in Fort Crawford in Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin, in 1830. According to Edwards, Beaumont had St. Martin enlist in the army so he could have a stipend to live on. Beaumont somehow arranged everything, so St. Martin's only duty was to present his stomach to the doctor. The rest of the family was treated as hired hands, performing chores for Beaumont while he carried out his experiments at Fort Crawford, 
until St. Martin and his family decided to return home to Canada. Dr. Beaumont wrote later, reminding St. Martin of his disappointment about the fact that his family had wanted to return to Canada, citing, quote, The embarrassment and interruption that have occurred heretofore to the persecution of my experiments upon you on account of having your family with you. You know your wife became so discontented and determined to go back that you were obliged to yield to her and disappoint me." Unquote. After taking his family back to Canada, St. Martin would still travel to see Beaumont so the doctor could carry out more of his experiments. In approximately 1833, the two met in Washington, D.C., where the pair had an awkward and unhappy Christmas. St. Martin was drinking heavily and was constantly lachrymose about being away from his family. When the two parted ways after this trip, it was for the last time. Beaumont tried to get St. Martin to return for more experiments, but St. Martin refused to leave without his family. They were living in poverty, and his wife was worried the family would starve without him. Beaumont was not happy that St. Martin refused to leave his family, once referring to his children as livestock in a letter to his cousin Samuel Beaumont. But even though he would never be reunited with his guinea pig, Beaumont did reap a lot of professional recognition for the experiments he carried out on St. Martin. In 1833, Beaumont first published a book entitled Experiments and Observations on the Gastric Juice and the Physiology of Digestion. In it, he described 238 different experiments he had carried out on St. Martin over an eight-year period, as well as his conclusions about the human gastric system. These experiments laid the foundation for our modern understanding of human digestion. Until Beaumont's experiments shed light on what went on inside the human stomach, there were two main theories about what digestion was. One theory was that it was mechanical, a product of grinding in the stomach. The other theory was that it was chemical. Beaumont was able to conclude that digestion in the stomach was a chemical process aided by gastric juice, which he correctly proposed was comprised largely of hydrochloric acid. This was a big deal and is why Dr. William Beaumont is known today as the father of gastric physiology. There are hospitals named after him, and the medical school for Oakland University is named Oakland University William Beaumont School of Medicine. Alexis St. Martin is not remembered with as much pomp and circumstance, but without him, our understanding about the human gastric system would have taken a lot longer to understand. Eventually, Dr. Beaumont settled in St. Louis, Missouri. He married and had three children. His renown garnered him a successful practice, and life was good. In 1853, he slipped on an icy step after visiting a patient, hitting his head. He died from the wound about a month later. He was 67 years old. Alexis St. Martin had a long life despite having a hole in his side. He never escaped poverty and was approached often by doctors wanting to examine him or exploit his wound but he would always refuse. Apparently, he was done with being a guinea pig. Though at one point in 1856, a charlatan named G.T. Bunting convinced him to go on a tour to a number of American cities. Bunting is described as a quack and as a snake oil salesman who paraded St. Martin around as if he were a sideshow in the circus. 
On their tour, while they were in St. Louis, St. Martin met up with Beaumont's widow for a visit and to pay his respects. The tour brought him some money, but not enough to lift his family out of poverty. He died in 1880 at the age of 78. According to an article by Dr. Howard Markle, MD and PhD, immediately there was a scrambling of people wanting access to his body and his stomach. To prevent his body from being used for further experimentation, his family left it out in the sun until it was so badly decayed that the coffin couldn't even be brought into the church during his funeral. They had him buried eight feet below ground instead of the usual six in a secret location and placed two feet of rocks on top of his casket in order to deter grave robbers from stealing his body or digging up the corpse to cut out his stomach. In 1962, his grave was definitively located and marked with a proper plaque. Today, if you go to Mackinac Island, you can actually walk inside of the recreated American Fur Company store where Alexis St. Martin was shot. It is complete with goods from the early 1800s, has informative staff that are dressed the way they would have dressed back then, which cannot be comfortable on a hot day. And there's even a room set up as a mini-museum of sorts where you can learn about St. Martin and Beaumont. You can go to both Fort Mackinac on the island and Fort Michilimackinac in Mackinac City. I just went this past summer to all of it, and it was a historically nerdy dream come true. I highly recommend it. And if you go, be sure to pick up some fudge from the island and some caramel corn from Alice's Candy and Corn in Mackinac City. Just trust me. The story of Dr. Beaumont and St. Martin is troubling in many ways. No way would these experiments have been sanctioned or approved at all in today's strictly regulated world of medical research, and for good and obvious reasons. But they were an important part of history, one that furthered our knowledge of the human body, and we have not just the famous Dr. William Beaumont to thank for that, but the obscure and scientifically accommodating Alexis St. Martin, too. The history of Beaumont and St. Martin is far from the only piece of history that took place in the curious and ancient straits of Mackinac, but it just may be the strangest. I hope you enjoyed today's weird bit of history. I'll be back in three weeks with an all-new episode for you. Until then, you can get a hold of me at historycashpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find the show at Twitter and on Instagram. If you'd like to support the show, consider subscribing on iTunes or wherever you listen. A podcast visibility is directly tied to how many subscribers it has. You can also support the show if you're able for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash historycashpodcast. You can also now make a one-time donation for any amount you'd like. You can find a link for that under the support tab at historycashpodcast.podbean.com. I'm an independent podcaster, so anything you do, even just telling a friend about the podcast, is humongously appreciated. Theme music was licensed through Audio Jungle, sound effects through Envato Elements. Stay safe and stay healthy, friends. I'll see you again in three weeks with another piece of history better than fiction. And until we meet again, my dear wandering stars of podcast land, go make some history.